This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week is Alexandra Petri, a humor columnist for The Washington Post, author of A Field Guide uh, to Awkward Silences, and also someone who is working assiduously on a new book. Alexandra, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I really struggled through this introduction today, and I hope that that's uh, the hardest moment on the show. Um, how, how, why did you want to advertise that you're just having a great time working on your next book? That's amazing. Please filter all of my advice through the lens that I was up until like 3 a.m. rearranging it on the floor. So <laughs> just graphically laying it out there, trying to figure out like, should this be in this order or that order? So, uh, but, but with the aid of coffee, I am here now, and I am very... Uh, excited and lucid, I hope. I am so impressed that you outline your books. This was like an sort of mostly an anthology kind of. So it's it all exists and I just need to figure out where does it go? And the answer is unclear, but it's on my floor. <laughs> uh, understandable. Um, books on the floor are great. I have books on my floor and they are not books that I'm working on. So you are, I think, doing very, very well. Uh, someone who is not doing very, very well, do you appreciate the segue, is our first letter writer who is uh, going through a very rough time. And um, I'll go ahead and read this first one because it's it's very, very long. Um, and I don't want you to have to start out with this one. But the subject is, my husband of 30 years might have given me an STI. Dear Prudence, during the 30 years that my husband and I have been together, I have never cheated on him, even when the temptation was strong. I always thought that I had married one of the good guys, and it never crossed my mind that he would cheat on me either. However, 10 years ago, he got a very lucrative job in another city, and he commuted for nine months between the two before we moved over with our kids. It was very difficult. When his behavior started to change, I chalked it up to stress and travel fatigue. He became hypercritical, was always displeased with me, and our sex life changed dramatically. Right after we moved, I found a new-looking condom in his shaving bag. We had just moved to a new city, our kids were young, I had no support network, and no financial resources of my own as a stay-at-home mother. I told him what I had found and asked him to explain. First, he denied that it had been there. Next, he said that it must have been from when he had his vasectomy six years earlier. Then he tried to convince me that because I had a history of mental health problems that I must have imagined the whole thing. He repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. I started to question my own sanity, and without any other proof, I felt the only thing to do was forget about it. Most of the past 10 years has been unhappy for me, but pretty good for him. We separated for six months last year. He was completely shocked, but ultimately decided to work things out, so he moved home. There is significant cultural pressure to stay together, a minor child still to consider, and a significant amount of assets at stake. Last week, my gynecologist called me with news that I had an abnormal pap smear with precancerous cells and had tested positive for an STI that is only transmitted sexually, which can lead to cervical cancer. I tested negative for it last year, but it can be asymptomatic for years. Now I'm freaking out and I don't know how to handle any of this. So I don't want to like jump too quickly to don't worry about it. Just like divorce him and soak him for all you can get. But 
if you do need to go that route, the good news is, you know, if you were to uh, seek a divorce and you've been a stay-at-home parent since 1999 and he makes a lot of money um, and you can demonstrate that he's been having an affair, uh, you're going to get probably a decent amount of alimony, um, which makes me feel like a wise old lady in a 1930s screwball comedy of remarriage. But I just would like to throw that out there. Um, if that situation is the one that you find yourself in, oftentimes the courts look uh, favorably on such people. Yeah, I, I also sort of wanted to rush straight there, but I think this is an approach that you've tried clearly, letter writer, and so are not doing. But man, it just sounds like the situation just sort of sucks across the board, frankly. Mm-hmm. This person has not treated you nicely and also given you an STI. They've been constantly questioning your mental health. They've been mean to you. And they've been just sort of doing terrible things. It doesn't sound like you're in a pleasant situation. So I understand that this has been tried, but I'm sort of team try it again. This doesn't... Try the marriage again, you mean? No, team try the separation again. Ah, gotcha. Yes. How could he be completely shocked after all the things that he's been doing to the letter writer? I mean, and I understand the significant cultural pressure, which I don't want to discount, mm-hmm. but it just sounds like this is not a happy situation. And that just because there's a minor child involved in the situation doesn't mean that you have that an intact household where this much pain and distrust is happening is necessarily going to be a, an optimal situation either. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I also want to throw out there, you say that he was completely shocked. I don't know that you need to believe him when he says he's shocked by something. He has demonstrated that he is not a trustworthy person, um, both between the like obvious affairs um, and the fact that he tried to convince you you hallucinated a condom in his shaving kit. Um, he may very well not have been shocked, but thought that it would uh, put additional pressure on you to stay if he said things like, I don't know where this is coming from. And this seems totally out of nowhere um, because that makes you feel like, well, maybe I'm being unreasonable. And I guess uh, I didn't do enough, uh, you know, when it came to explaining to him what was making me unhappy. So this is not a person who I think you need to take at his word. I think that generally when he tells you, like if he told me this guy was blue, I would go outside and confirm it. Yeah, it's like if your mother loves you, double check it first. But this doesn't sound like there's a lot of love coming from this guy. And yeah, his sentimental condom, which granted, it's possible to have condoms that sort of sit around, but you don't travel with your condom that you're just sort of sitting around and forgot about, in my experience. Uh, Yeah. And again, I, I think the fact that he then said, like, there's not a condom there. Wait a minute. It must be a six year old condom. Wait a minute. You hallucinated it. That to me just I, I don't always want to say like only a guilty person yeah. would do that. But like only a person who is cheating on you would respond in that way. I think I don't think there's another explanation for that. Um that strikes me as at all reasonable. So mostly I think right now, you you know, you just found this out. You're freaking out. You don't know how to handle any of this. Part of you feels like I can't even consider the possibility of divorce because of these other things. Mostly I think right now I would just want to encourage you to talk to a friend, a relative, a therapist, anybody that you trust um, who can just kind of listen because this is a lot to to think about and to process um I, I think you should also talk to your husband and and tell him what's going on not necessarily because i think he's going to respond immediately um with full honesty but you know um 
whether or not you decide to separate as a result of this, I think this is something that, you know, you don't have to ask him. It's not the same as the condom, right? You don't have to ask him. You just get to say, like, I found out that, you know, uh, I, I got tested recently and I've picked up an STI. I know I haven't been with anyone besides you. Um, obviously, something's going on in our marriage um, and I need to figure out what I'm going to do next. Or do you feel like maybe talk to a lawyer before talking to the husband? Like, where would you fall on that? timeline. I think the fact that there's actually sort of an STI in play, I wonder how the husband's going to respond to it. Because given how the husband responded previously with the condom thing, which is another sort of fact on the ground, whether it'll just be more blaming and more sort of nonsense. And I think it might be good to talk to an outside person, but like like a lawyer or definitely like a therapist or the doctor, just somebody who isn't immediately going to try to turn around and blame you. Because I'm I'm worried that instead of saying, you know, crap, I've screwed up, He'll just do something worse. But I think also this is a medically sort of unnerving thing to find out. And I that's a whole nother kettle of worms when you can't talk to your husband about discovering that you've got a medical problem. Yeah. So that I, also is another reason this is a good scenario. Yeah, I do. Because his track record is not like when you are upset or confused or asking him for honesty, he responds really well. So part of my concern is that if you do say this to him, he will immediately accuse you of cheating on him. Um, and that would not be something that I would want for you. So given his track record, I would maybe say talk to that lawyer first, talk to the friend first, talk to the therapist first. Um, again, without discounting the cultural pressure to stay together or or um, the fear that you will not be, you know, I, I, I realized earlier I was being a little bit flippant, but like I also realized that like courts do not always make such decisions really, really fairly. And it is absolutely possible that if you two were to get divorced, um, it would be at, e- even if only in the short term, a financial hardship for you. So I don't want to downplay that. Um, I, I would say f- to that, co- consult a lawyer. Um, uh, but but uh, don't talk yourself out of pursuing a divorce before you've even investigated your options. Here, here. Um, I, I think that that would be really, especially after a decade of what sounds like a pretty miserable situation for you. I think um, there, there are just limits to how much I think um, you can sacrifice yourself so that your child has both the parents living in the home. And if you're at this point where you're like, well, my husband's been having like affairs and has communicated an STI to me and now I have to deal with that and I can't trust him to be honest with me. Like, I, I just don't think that that's, I think it would be better for your minor child if the two of you lived in separate houses and had a reasonable custody agreement. Yeah, I strong agree. And, and, and pursue medical treatment right away. Like just focus on taking care of yourself. Do not worry too much about you know how your husband's doing if you just need to take a lot of space from him right now while you get your ducks in a row take that space um i don't want to encourage you to like i don't generally want to be in the habit of like encouraging spouses to go through one another's phones so I, i will not send you down that path but i would just say like go invest in other people that you actually can trust so that you can get the help you need to leave him rather than um hoping that he will suddenly say, yes, you're right. It was because I had an affair. Here's how many affairs I've had. Um, I'm so sorry. Here's how I'm going to try to make it right. Like, I just I don't see that happening with him. Yeah, I think building a network outside of him that could be there for you and for, for the kid and just help you get out of the past 10 years and into something where you're not having to deal with all the consequences of his bad decisions would be a wonderful thing. And it, it does sound off-putting at first, but ultimately... I think would be rewarding. And it's also like there's all this sort of weird stigma around like STIs. And so like in addition to like getting a medical diagnosis that can be kind of frightening, there's mm. the whole like, well, if I tell people, what will they think about me? And like how if maybe the letter writer hasn't like, I don't know how many people they can confide in about like the situation because 
if this is something they've been sort of keeping under the rug, then like you can't really talk to somebody about it without revealing mm. some things or they're going to come to conclusions. And so there's that whole piece of it, too. So, yeah, talk to a lawyer, talk to like a professional. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I really, really hope that you have people in your life who would not be like judgmental or harsher or stigmatizing. And again, I, I also want to put it just in, in perspective in general. Like I, I wouldn't encourage you to like go track down whoever it is that your um, husband has been cheating on you with and, and try to like make them feel terrible for, you know, their STI status either. I just think, it, you know, that's a terrible way to find out that someone's been cheating on you. And it's also just a scary um uh, diagnosis to receive, especially with the precancerous stuff. I, I hope that you will be able to get the treatment that you need and that everything will end up okay, but that's still really upsetting and isolating, and I just totally get that. And good luck. Yeah. Um, I think that it will feel a lot better to be out of this marriage um, than it does right now to be feeling totally panicked and freaked out and like you have no support inside of it. I really do think it will be worth leaving. <laughs> Man, this next one is just a lot. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yes. It's a great deal. I think the theme of today is like, no one is very good at hiding affairs. Um, and I sometimes will hear from people who are like contemplating one and they're like, I know I'll keep it a secret for the rest of my life. And I just don't believe you. Um, like no one's good at hiding affairs. Maybe they are and I just never hear about them. But I feel pretty confident saying the vast, vast majority of people are not good at hiding affairs. Um, and that there's always going to be something that will trip you up um, or that you did not anticipate and somebody will find out. And um, that's going to make life more challenging. Yeah, no, you're really just cre- setting up a logistical nightmare for yourself. You're not actually re- resolving anything that you're dealing with. It's like a murder, I feel like. There are scenarios where I'm like, I could probably, like, if I went to, like, a cliff with somebody and then, like, I got very startled. But then I'm like, no, that, that's the only scenario I can think of where you could actually get away with a murder. We've I, all seen double indemnity. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work, you know? It doesn't. Yeah. And now everyone has Alexas in the home. I just think uh, across the board, murder and thinking that you're going to have a successful affair unless like you i guess you're you don't you 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 know you're about to change faces and like leave the country i i no i'm i'm not really coming up with a good scenario yeah yeah it's anyways so just to add a, a dash of hopelessness to anyone's uh, future affairs so the subject of this one uh, is i keep catching my mother having affairs and i need help dealing with her and my father's issues dear prudence i'm a 19 year old sophomore at a smallish private college out of state seven years ago my father caught my mother in an affair i overheard them fighting about it and i was devastated by this betrayal my parents stayed together Three years later, I found a burner phone in my mother's closet with sexts to two different numbers. I confronted her and she and I together destroyed the phone. She apologized and made me promise to never tell my father. I haven't told him or my two younger siblings. This summer, I read sexts that my mother was sending to someone other than my father. Again, I was crushed and furious. My father is an alcoholic, and leaving home for college allowed me to avoid being around his drinking. He's a great dad, and I love him and my mother very much. I never really felt like I fit into my community, which is full of rich and entitled people. But knowing my mother continued to cheat on my father has made me hate going home even more. I also hate being at my school, which is also full of rich, entitled people who remind me of home. I'm miserable at school and begged my parents to let me transfer. They are supportive but want me to come home for a semester, take classes nearby, and go to therapy before I make a decision. I can't be at home for more than a few days because I'm so angry with my parents. 
My mother, who I can talk to sometimes, knows why I'm angry with her and my dad. Recently, she offered me an apology for her affairs. I didn't accept it because I don't feel like she means it. She's still having one, so how can she? I can't tell my father why I'm angry with him because he'll get defensive. I've started therapy one session near my school. How do I confront them about my anger and move past it? Do they deserve my forgiveness? There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, this felt like uh, an episode from the OC. I kept thinking, is this a reference to something? But I'm pretty sure it's not just because of like... I, maybe I didn't read Catcher in the Rye attentively enough, but I think it's not. Yeah, no, I don't think it. I, I mean, it does read like a lot of uh, stories about like the disaffected children of the rich and indolent. Um, but I think that's just because like, you know, a, a lot of wealthy, dissatisfied people, you know, drink a lot and have affairs. I think that really does happen. It's not just in, I don't know. Yeah, uh, gossip art girl. imitates life. Exactly. So if this is you, if you're 19 years old and all this is going on, what's your strategy? What are you going to do? I'm having two responses to this. I think the key is like it, like being 19 is such a weird place because you're both kind of an adult and you're still very much entangled in your original family unit and you're still sort of, it sounds like, financially dependent on your parents. So you have to ask to be let to transfer. It's not a situation where you can decide that. And so I think... Ideally, the moment when you discover that like your parents are sort of people with their own wants and needs comes at some point in like your 20s and you're like at like a Thanksgiving dinner and someone has a few too many cocktails and you make and the, the revelation comes then when you're sort of like fully out of the house and able to deal with it. But you've had to deal with it like in high school. And that sounds really rough. And I'm really sorry that you're in the middle of that. And so I guess my initial feeling is like the question of like, do they deserve your forgiveness how do you confront them about your anger? I would almost try to focus more on yourself mm-hmm. than on like what's going on in your parents' marriage and try to figure out what I want and like how do I come to a point where like I'm not the one who has to be in the middle of this because like it is definitely a violation. Like you feel like your family unit's been violated and I I totally get what a – I mean I, I, I think I understand what a betrayal that must feel like but it's also they're adults – and you're becoming an adult and there you don't have to hold the family unit together and like disp- disperse forgiveness to people and vice versa so i would urge you to like think about yourself and figure out like what do you want and if you can't go home because like if if staying home and dealing with them is financially sort of your only option right now how can you think about maybe breaking that dependency so that you have more control over like where you want to be if it's difficult to be at home right now. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's the thing to focus on here too, which is just like your parents' marriage sounds very complicated um, between your dad's drinking um, and your mom's uh, infidelities and and then also her attempts to make you uh, responsible for keeping her secret, which is totally not okay of her to do. Um, I, I think rather than worrying about do they or do they not deserve my forgiveness. Um, I think there's a lot of questions that can go into what it means to offer somebody forgiveness. Um, Questions like, do they want it? Have they asked for it? What do I think I will get out of this? Um, And uncoupling it from does forgiving something mean that um, it's still going on? Because if if you're forgiving behavior that is still ongoing, there's not necessarily much meaning behind that if it's sort of like i'll forgive them both for the things they're going to keep doing um uh, then that's that's 
a little bit more of a fantasy than a reality. So I think some of the question there is like, can I find a way to live and relate to my parents in such a way that I don't feel like solely responsible for keeping these secrets on their behalf um, and and like I have to hide my frustration or anger? I do believe that that's possible. I do believe that you can achieve that. I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but I, I do have a couple of ideas. As you said, I think number one, the most important thing for you to focus on is how do I get a college degree? Uh, where I don't have to live at home? And how can I work on establishing financial independence uh, between then and now? It, it sounds like one of the few upsides of being around a lot of rich and entitled people is that your parents are able to pay for your college, which is fantastic. Um, and, you know, only you can weigh ex- like whether or not there's any community for you here at this school. Um, I don't know if there's like even one or two or three people who don't feel totally rich and entitled that you enjoy spending time with um, or any professors whose work you admire and value or or any department there that you feel like you could really shine in. Um, but, but I would really focus on whether or not you can like ride through your next two and a half years. Um, and, and if you can't, you know, think about what are some other more affordable schools I could um, transfer to? Um, what could I afford to pay for either through a combination of like, would I be willing to take out some student loans if I had to? Could I get a job over the summers? Where could I afford to stay? What are my options besides just going back to my parents' house? Because um, it sounds like that's pretty uh, challenging for you right now. I would also recommend Al-Anon um, because I think right now it sounds like you you kind of briefly acknowledge your father's drinking, but then that kind of gets swept aside as like, he's a great dad. And I don't want to say this to mean like, obviously your, drinking, your dad's drinking means your mom is entitled to like five free affairs or whatever. But I do just want to acknowledge that it can be really hard to be married to an active alcoholic. And there may be ways in which he is a great dad and a really, really challenging husband. Um, so again, that doesn't mean you have to figure out which one of your parents is right and which one is wrong and who deserves uh, for you to be angry with them and who doesn't. I just um, I think it would be helpful to you to spend time with other people who have also um, maybe not realized the ways in which their family has contorted itself to support one particular member's drinking um, and ways in which that can come to look like, oh, this is just what normal families do. And in fact, it's really dysfunctional. Um, it's not something you have to do. It's it's too much responsibility for others to take on. Um, and I think that that would be really helpful in addition to continuing to go to therapy on campus. Yes. Yay, yay therapy on campus. And I, I guess another way of looking at it is like Another reason Elanon makes sense is because you don't necessarily have to ask yourself the question of like, do I forgive the people involved? But like starting to maybe understand a little more what's going into that couldn't hurt if that's an effort you're willing to take on right now. Yeah. And and I think to say like, if my dad never stops drinking and my mom never leaves my dad and the two of them continue to go back and forth in this really painful dynamic, how will I establish a life for myself that looks sane, serene, useful, interesting, and mostly happy? Um, Because that's something you can do with or without your parents' participation or permission. Um, But if you make it your job to either figure out, do they deserve my forgiveness or not? Do I fix their marriage or not? Do I punish my mom or not? Um, You will get more and more enmeshed in their dynamic and you will feel more and more like, I can't be happy until I fix their marriage. And that's not something that you have to wait on. Even though that may still cause you pain, you still may feel sadness. Um, I also want you to feel a lot of freedom to, um, you know, tell your mom, um, you need to tell dad about this. I cannot keep... 
keeping this secret for you. If you don't tell him, I will. I'm giving you a heads up now because I'm not like trying to make your life more difficult, but it's not okay for me, your child, to keep this secret for you and I won't do it anymore. Um, that's a decision that may have consequences, but it's one that's available to you. No, because right now you're in a super unfair position of having to be like the policeman of like getting rid of the phone. Like that that's not your job. Right. Your job is to get, get, grow up and be a person. Yeah. And I'll just say uh, your anger and your frustration all make sense. Um, and I want you to be able to balance both appropriate anger when you've been put in a situation you shouldn't have been by your parents and also ways in which you can say um, – my parents' marriage is really, really complicated, and um, some of this is just stuff that I will not be able to solve for them. Um, I would also understand if you did not want to share that information with your father. I don't know what he's like when he's been drinking a lot. I don't know if you um, believe that your mother would potentially be in danger if, if your father knew that she had been having other affairs. I just I want to acknowledge that it's a possibility, and if that is a possibility and you decide you simply want to keep your distance and say, like, I don't want to know anything else about your affairs, um, I, I, you know, I, I can't be the like adjudicator of your guys' marriage anymore. You can't give me this information. Um, that would be something I would understand as well. But yeah, uh, ultimately, I think the most important thing is for you to establish financial independence so you never have to live with your parents again. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it, that's hard being at like a college that you hate. And I would understand if you wanted to try to find a different one. But mostly, I think just like keep your eye on the prize, which is just to get a degree um, and, and get out and, and um, move on with the rest of your life. Oh, my gosh. Today is just a fair day, isn't it? Because this next letter is about, oh. you know, somebody who maybe in 15 or 20 years is going to be the same in the same situation. Subject. My friend has been having an affair for three years behind her boyfriend's back, but now they're getting married. Dear Prudence, one of my best friends, Caroline, is engaged to Andy. They've been together for over eight years and engaged for one. For the past three years, Caroline has been having an affair with John. When the affair started, Caroline and I were not particularly close. She confided in me very soon into our friendship, I think, because I was somewhat of a stranger. Because I had less investment in her life, I was a judgment-free zone. In those early days, I was simply a sounding board, and I'm ashamed to say an enthusiastic one at that. I felt like I was vicariously living a soap opera through her, and I lapped up all the juicy details and asked for more. We have now become extremely close. I care about her a lot. I've also spent a lot of time with Andy and gotten to know him. I've even met John several times, though he doesn't know I'm aware of their affair. Somewhere in the beginning of the friendship, though, we fell into our roles, and my role was that of the non-judgmental and supportive friend. I'm there to listen to her, but I don't draw harsh conclusions, and I don't give her holier-than-thou advice. I'm the only friend she confides in like this, the only friend who knows the full extent of their affair, and I've always gotten the sense that she tells me not because she wants advice, but because she just needs to tell someone. The problem is that as their wedding creeps closer and closer, I really don't think she should marry Andy. Her affair with John is completely all-encompassing. She has told me that she's in love with him. But even more alarming, she has told me that though she loves Andy, she's not in love with him. There are other reasons that are more subjective on my part. He's dull, insensitive, obsessed with work, and while she enjoys socializing and being outdoors, he prefers to stay inside the house drinking alone for days at a time without venturing outside. But the kicker is, she's not in love with him and has been having a secret affair for three years. My question is this. Do I tell her not to marry him? Is it my place? She clearly knows what she's doing. She knows she's not in love with Andy, but has still made the decision to marry him. 
I keep wondering if telling her not to marry him would be productive or beneficial for her, or if it's just a way to assuage my own guilt at standing idly by for three years. Would telling her just be a way for me to wipe my hands clean so that if the marriage falls apart and she's miserable, I can feel like I did my part? What should I do? Hmm. That's, that's oh boy. a lot. Um, I guess the one upside here is that these are not your parents. So, you know, it's always a little bit easier to have a fight with a friend than a parent, I think. Um, no, that's... That's definitely true. And I think the dynamic definitely is familiar to me. I feel like often the at least the friendship dynamic that the writer is describing where like the price of intimacy early on in a new friendship is you just are extremely nonjudgmental about things that in retrospect, you're like, oh, no, I should have put my foot down, but I really wanted you to like me and I really wanted us to become close. And then suddenly three years later, she's getting married to Andy, but in love with John. So uh, I do resemble that. And I'm. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I don't want to go too, too hard on like now seems like a great time to really relentlessly scrutinize yourself. But like, I think it's worth spending a little time sitting with the question like, did I like seek out or encourage increased intimacy with Caroline because I was a little bit like titillated by this like wild and zany story? Um like you say that you weren't especially close then she started having an affair and told you about it at a time when you two were like not especially close and you were like this definitely sounds like a person with good boundaries who i want to get a lot closer to you know again without saying like you know this is all your fault you made your bed now lie in it fucking deal with it i just think it's it's worth maybe asking like what did i get out of this situation at first and um how do i want to maybe act differently in the future if someone i don't know very well like shares something that's not only very personal but like potentially um damaging information uh, without kind of like doing the sort of sensible reasonable like small emotional escalations that we do when we're getting to know someone and trying to make sure that we're not um behaving inappropriately so like yeah it's just a good opportunity to kind of reflect on the progression of this friendship because yes as you say you are now in a situation where it's like stakes are maximally high i am maximally involved i have met everybody in this scenario i'm going to it sounds like attend or even be in a wedding um i i know every single detail about this woman's feelings about both her fiance and the guy that she's also dating um you really you're not just like kind of distantly aware of the dynamics. You are intimately involved in this affair. You are the fourth person in this affair. Um, and I don't I don't say that to be like, it's all your fault and you're the worst. I just mean like this is a really intense situation. You have not just gotten yourself a little bit involved. You've gotten yourself enmeshed. And yeah, I, know. Uh, I don't want that for you because it doesn't sound like it's bringing you joy anymore. Not that it would be fine if it were bringing you joy. Like, yeah, no, if you, like this is no longer like a low stakes thing for which you are a bystander. You are like fully in the snow globe of this world with everyone else now and having to deal with the consequences, at least in terms of feeling, as you're saying, morally responsible for either saying something or not saying something. Right. Uh, and like, because this is like I, the letter writer is the one person with full information I guess a certain degree of like partial full information because mm-hmm. this person didn't know their relationship, like the Andy relationship with Caroline before. Like right. all they know is really Aunt Caroline plus John and then also Andy. And so it's a very specific lens through which they're seeing the relationship. And so I, there may be even additional details to the picture, but they are they do seem to be the only person who knows that like 
Andy and Caroline are about to marry a lie, uh, and John is the true love. And so uh, it's it's tough to be the only person who has information like that because then it starts burning a hole in your pocket and you start to feel like it's your responsibility, whether or not it is, to like give everyone involved the amount of information that is necessary uh, so you don't have to just be carrying that. But uh, I guess it's never a question of like, it's interesting that the letter writers never like, I should tell Andy or like, I should tell John. Like, it's just like, what should I say to Caroline? Which is correct. I think that's like the purview of this yeah. person. But it's also like, ah. Yes, it is very much like that. I also, yeah. Um, that question about like, is it my place? Um, I, I don't know if it's quite like your place to say either like do or don't do this. But the idea that like for three years she's been telling you literally it sounds like every thought that has ever entered her mind about either of these two guys and you're like I don't know is it my place to like say anything and it's just like my goodness <laughs> if she hasn't made it your place by telling you about this every day for three years like I don't know what you think it would take um yeah so again it just it also doesn't sound like this is a friendship where there's a lot of equal give and take it sounds like this is a friendship where Caroline sets a lot of the terms and you go along with it and then like three years later you start to wonder wait do I actually enjoy the terms of our friendship do I feel listened to do I feel respected do I feel like she cares about my boundaries do I feel like she thinks about whether or not she's putting me in an awkward social position um by telling me all this stuff and being like hey come out to like drinks with me and Andy um so I just I'm curious if you think Caroline is a person who respects her friends and treats them kindly and um, thinks about their needs and their comfort as much as she thinks about her own. So that's another question I would I certainly you to don't think with. so. Yeah, I, I don't think Caroline is a great friend to you. No, I mean, and even in the letter, uh, you're saying, like, I've always gotten the sense that she tells me not because she wants advice, but because she just needs to tell someone. Like, this is just information that's bubbling out of Caroline, and you happen to be the person who right. receives that information. She doesn't care about what I have to say about it. She's not interested in my perspective. She just views me as an emotional dumping ground. And I just... I'm curious if this is a friendship that you actually want to preserve or if it's maybe more like Caroline is um, very daring and kind of lives on the edge and does whatever she wants. And I sort of envy that in a certain light, although other times I can see the ways in which she hurts people. And so I'm sort of more like uh, mesmerized by her or, or find qualities in her that I wish I somewhat embodied in myself rather than like she is a kind friend who treats me well. Um, and, and I think you know that, right? Like you, you say you were vicariously living a soap opera through her. You loved the juicy details. You wanted more. And that's, again, that doesn't make you a monster. It doesn't, I don't think that it, it was the best choice you ever made, but I think it's good to be clear on like, what did I get out of this in the beginning? So you don't have to think of yourself as like just a victim of Caroline's. You can understand like I made choices at one point, um, that were based in like momentary entertainment. I can now see that those choices led me into a friendship where I don't feel especially trusted or respected. Um, I might want to make different choices in the future. So all that said, yes, of course you should say something. Um, I, I think what you should say kind of depends on what you want. Are you comfortable hanging out with her and Andy, knowing what you know? And if you don't think you can do that again, um, I think you should say that. Um, if, if, if you feel on your own behalf like you have been mistreated, I think that that would be really fair to say. Um, if you also want to acknowledge your culpability in some of this, I, I think that that would actually probably go a long way towards um, minimizing any potential defensiveness. So I think saying something like... Um, 
I, I should have brought this up sooner. I know that in some ways I chose to ask you for a lot of details about your contempt for your fiance and your um, interest in the guy that you were cheating on him with um, because I found it really, um, you know, kind of exciting and thrilling. And and I really just wanted to feel like I was living vicariously through you. That's on me. Um, I shouldn't have done that. I regret that. And I want to stop doing that. Um, I, I'm now in a really difficult position where as your marriage to Andy gets closer, I, I just feel more and more concerned that you do not love him. You've told me uh, effectively that you don't. Um, obviously, you get to make whatever choices you want to make about your own personal life. But based on what you've told me, um, I, I, I don't think that you really do want to marry Andy. And I hope that you will consider uh, figuring out who you do want to be with and, and how to be honest about it. And from now on, I am no longer available to like, you know, lap up all the juicy details about your affair. Um, I, I hope that you make a decision that you feel comfortable with and good about. Um, but I can't um, just act as a sort of like gossip repository anymore. I regret the fact that I made myself available for that in the past and I, I need to stop now. And I think that last part is the key. Yeah. Yeah. You need to make that claim. It's really like you have to have a stake in this and you have to not be willing to keep listening to this if she continues to do this. I think that's what gives you the ability to say, look, here's my two cents after having enabled this for three years. I'm sorry about that. That's on me. But what you do from here on out is on you. And I'm not, this is where my line is. I think that's, but you have to be actually willing to draw the line. If you're just going to sit there and the next time, like after they're married, she's like, oh, but then I went, you know, and romance blossomed elsewhere. And if you're still going to be just as eager for those details, then I think you have to really ask yourself, like, what are you getting out of this friendship? And is it helping anyone? Right. I think that's a really good point, too. You will actually have to stand by that decision. Um, And if she tries to do it again, to rope you in to just say, like, hey, we actually talked about this. I'm not available for this conversation. Um, I wish you the best of luck, but I, I, I can't just listen to this anymore. Um, and, and I also think you should be open to the possibility that, like, based on this woman's behavior, I think if you were to say even all of that as mildly and kindly as you could, that one possible response is for her to say, how dare you? How dare you judge me? Fuck you. You were never really my friend. Fuck off. And that would be really sad, but it would also not be something that you could have um, kept from happening. Like, if that meant that your friendship really only um, existed because you were willing to give her what she wanted, then that wasn't, like much of a friendship to begin with yeah like there's other ways to subscribe to juicy details from people's love lives although this is like a 4d real one playing out nearby but there are other ways of getting that same kind of rush and joy so if that's all your friendship turns out to have been then you can go forth knowing that there are other options and if it turns out that your friendship is more and you can help her to improve things with and live her life with more honesty and more concern for people that could be amazing but you know also don't count on it necessarily based on her previous behavior yeah it it may be that she's finally able to acknowledge like no andy makes me miserable and i do want out thank you for this you know impetus to get moving on that and it may be how dare you andy's got a lot of great qualities you don't know him um or or even just how dare you judge me no one can ever judge anyone else's actions um everything is value neutral um and and in that case you'll at least uh, you know you won't be writing letters to advice columnists where you say like it was fine it was fine and then you start writing in all caps uh, she's not in love with him like a lot of this is in all caps and so clearly like you are building to something there's something that you feel very strongly about but you're not saying so i think you got to say it and you know however yeah however yeah, it goes is however it goes it doesn't sound like a great trio you, you might be better off just looking for some new friends so 
So we're going to move up to slightly lighter stakes than like, do I stop in and, and like interrupt a wedding? Um, and, and this is just about like how to be polite during conversation about stuff you've seen before. <laughs> and maybe also how to reconsider a little bit of yeah. your relationship to the Internet. So uh, the subject is, is there a better way to say thank you? Dear Prudence, this is a very silly question, but it's one that I've struggled with for a few years. I spend much of my life online. I check Twitter frequently and refresh news sites periodically throughout the day. I also have several niche interests. I just want to acknowledge I've never felt comfortable pronouncing the word niche or niche, and I think I do it wrong every time. Yeah, I still think I'm either saying the philosopher wrong or I'm saying niche wrong, and I'm never sure which, but it's definitely one of them. I, I just need to start editing that when it comes in as in my letters because it makes me feel so bad whenever I have to say it out loud. Okay, moving on. Because I'm so often online, when there's breaking news about one of my interests or a funny viral video related to my hobbies, I tend to see it almost immediately. Inevitably, two or three days later, someone in my life who is less online will bring this news up in conversation. I deeply appreciate that these people have thought of me and are doing something nice by making sure I saw something I might like. However, I never quite know what to say without sounding dismissive or unappreciative. Yes, I saw that. Thanks. Feels dismissive. As does, I've already heard, but thank you. Both of those are usually followed by, oh, and an awkward silence. Usually, it's not necessarily things that the other party is especially interested in discussing in depth, just as an FYI. Even when they are interested in surface-level conversation, it's usually a rehash of conversations I've been having for three days. There are times that I've pretended I haven't seen something because it feels easier than navigating the awkward silence after I inform them that I have, indeed, seen the thing. I'm positive there's some very obvious comment I can make that expresses my gratitude for something someone thinking of me, acknowledging that I've already seen it and moving the conversation along, but I've spent years struggling to strike the right balance. Do you have any suggestions? So I, 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 my take on this is I don't think this is a silly question. And, and, and I think without sounding too much like a like a, a, a scold like obviously i spend a fair amount of time online myself but you know if you're like my relationship to the internet is such that i regularly run into difficulties just talking with people i already know and care about in person that's not silly that's an actual like limitation on your ability to connect with other people and that's not to say like oh the phones are ruining your life and you must return to the old ways and wander the hills um but but i do think without like going overboard in the other direction it's it's okay to say it's really important to me that when i talk to people in the moment um i don't make them feel foolish for not having already seen something that i saw and i want to make sure that i can communicate that they have my attention that i'm interested in hearing what they have to say and i'm not trying to like subtly let them know like like, um, hey, stop bringing this stuff up because unless you're tapped into the mainframe like myself, um, you're just too late to have this conversation with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I do think this is actually more than just silly. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's like a nice problem to have in one way, but also, as you point out, a difficult problem. Because as somebody who is, I guess, that quote unquote niche interest, whatever, the, you know, the the word that describes the type of interest that it is person for folks where I have like one of the most broad niche interests in the world, which is Star Wars. Like whenever there's a Star Wars thing, there's like people who will text me and be like, did you see the Star Wars thing? And I'm like, yes, I'm plugged into the mainframe and you bet I got it. But I'm always like, I think what's underlying this is not like they wanted to be certain that I had the Star Wars news, but I'm the person who lights up in their brain when they see Star Wars news and they think, oh, I want to talk, reach out to Petra. Like, let's set, send her a note, see how it's going. So I think what they really want to yeah. do is connect with you, even if it's like the conversation that ensues is going to be superficial. And that's a wonderful thing to have happening. And so I, I'm honestly kind of team like, 
I'm so gl- glad you brought that to my attention. I do love that thing. Thank you for remembering that that is my interest. I was actually talking on the internet about it the other week. Like some way of saying, I'm happy to, I'm so glad that you remembered me and remembered a thing about me and want to talk to me about it. Like it's a, a lovely problem yeah, to have. And I think that that's what's it there too. Like uh, unless they're saying, did you see this? And you don't want to like out and out lie. If they're just saying like, I saw this and I thought of you, they're not necessarily asking, is this the first time you've ever seen this? So I think oftentimes you'll have the the opportunity to, you know, remind yourself that not everybody has the exact same relationship to the internet and just say, uh, you know, either something that you noticed about that video or 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 something that you think of in response and then continue even if it's just a slightly surface level conversation just say like thank you so much for for thinking of me you know what's new with you um uh, you know continuing the conversation going while also slightly changing the subject is totally totally fine and um you know again you don't have to lie about having seen it if someone's asking you directly um but uh, there's still ways to just say like oh i did see that and like i thought of x y and z when i saw it like there's ways uh, of of acknowledging you've seen it and continuing to talk about it so it's not like sorry you missed your window yeah exactly it's like oh yes that infuriates me or oh yes that delights me i'm sure whatever response that you had uh on the internet in person is also going to float over like an excellent balloon that's not a sentence that i knew how it was going to end when i started saying it but that it it ended okay yeah and if just part of what you want is to have Uh, you know, slightly different kinds of conversations with these friends. It's also, you know, if they're usually the ones initiating conversations with you because they keep sending you these videos, it may be that at least some of the time, part of what they're trying to say is like, I miss you. I want to stay connected. I don't always know how to. I don't always know how to engage in what's going on in your life. And so there might be an opportunity there to reach out to those people independent of any video and just say something like, hey, I was thinking of you today. How's your day going? Or like, you know, what's interesting and on the horizon of your life right now? Um, but, but yeah, generally I would say in those moments, even if it means you're being a little bit dishonest, I I do think this is a situation where like the etiquette that preserves other people's feelings is a little bit more important than being strictly and scrupulously honest. So I would lean towards more in those moments, not volunteering information about whether or not you've seen it for the first time, but responding politely in the moment in a way that doesn't make someone feel foolish for, for thinking of you is, is that would be my highest priority. Yes. Um, because I think there's often situations like social situations where like scrupulous honesty is a step or two below making sure someone doesn't feel like a fool. Yeah. I would say your suggestion is great and maybe have the goal for when you, you, the letter writer this time, your next communication with these people to be like a follow-up question about something in their lives so that like you won't have to have them messaging you the thing because you want to know how annoying Fred is doing at work or like is Bob coming through with that yeah. cake he promised. Yeah. So I think that that is all stuff that you will be able to to make the switch relatively easily to doing. And I think that that will go a long way towards um, maybe even moving some of those conversations along. So it's not just always like I associate you with one thing and nothing else. You might even be able to get to know one another a little bit better. Or if you just don't want to get to know these people any better and you're like, nope, I want surface level conversations with him. That is also fine, too. You can give them another one of those sort of like like socially distant level intimate information about you. I'm sorry, that sounds really confusing. You know when there's somebody... No, but yeah, it's it's, it's a clinical but correct term. Yeah, there's like a safe list of hobbies that you would like feel comfortable letting like a new coworker know about. So you can even just be like, I'm getting really into baking. Even if you're like, mostly I'm just into like, uh, you know, 
like bookmarking baking recipes and thinking about baking, like give them a new hobby to know like, oh, this is the thing I associate with you that you two can talk about. You can still pick something that interests you and like maybe you will make cupcakes next weekend. But like think of one or two like low investment, um, low intimacy things that you would be happy to talk about with them that aren't just like, how are you over and over? All right. We are going to do one more letter because it is just such a classic you know, happens to all of us. Uh, sooner or later, it's going to happen to you, listeners. The subject is just <laughs> a guest did her homework during my wedding. And I'm furious. Dear Prudence, I recently got married to my dear husband, Ricardo. However, during the ceremony, Ramona, the wife of Jorge, a college buddy of my husband's, actually whipped out her MacBook during the ceremony and worked on a college paper the entire time. The sound of Ramona's typing was audible during the ceremony. She barely lowered the volume on her laptop, and she even attempted to FaceTime with her study partner, although she was at least, quote, considerate enough to walk out when the call connected. Ricardo reached out after the ceremony and asked Jorge why Ramona saw fit to use my wedding hall as a study hall. He replied that she was under a tight deadline for her class and had planned on skipping, but decided to come when she saw we had an open bar. And, quote, Ramona had earned a breather after putting in so much effort at school, and she sat in the back row anyway. You can hear her message alerts chiming over my vows in the wedding video. Prudy, I'm furious. She ruined my wedding to score some free booze, which she enjoyed while continuing to type away during the wedding toasts and our first dance. How do I properly convey my frustrations to Jorge and Ramona, or am I overreacting? Well. Wow. Wow. Your friends are assholes. <laughs> Um, this this is not a thing that should happen. To be very clear, this is not. No, nope, no, nope, never. Nope. Yeah, I've never heard of this one. This is a brand new one to me. Um, yeah, this is uh, my again. This was totally bizarre, and uh, I I understand why no one anticipated this. But like, rather than overreacting, I, I think what should have happened in the moment was like somebody. And yeah, I mean, again, I get that you don't go into your wedding thinking like, now we've deputized such and such a person to make sure that everyone turns off their laptops um, and doesn't take a call during the ceremony. But like the moment would have been then to like, even at the risk of things looking a little bit uncomfortable to like stop and like send somebody, send an usher or whatever over to her and be like, you need to stop. Uh, again, without saying like, therefore, it's your fault. I think one of the things that is good in the moment um, is to stop and, and 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 address this rather than just like pull a shocked face and hope that somebody becomes abashed when they have made it clear that they will never become abashed but that moment has passed you can't go undo that yeah i agree this is like a this is a nonsense thing to have happen just full stop this should never occur to anyone to do but unfortunately it is a thing that happened in the past and yeah. so it's like you can be as mad as you want to about it unfortunately it is it is still firmly lodged in the past whence you cannot dislodge it and will it'll be on those maybe you could see if they'd be willing to pay to edit the video no uh, i i don't know I, I actually don't think that's a good suggestion but it just seems like people who are clueless enough to just urge their studying ramona to come and type blithely away during the ceremony with alerts going off yeah. uh would not feel that any wrongdoing had happened for which they'd be willing to compensate you. So I think just know that you are completely in the right about this, but unfortunately that there's probably not a ton you can do about it other than maybe reevaluate whether these folks are folks you want to continue to 
cherish his friends. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm also just kind of amazed that none of the guests were in the moment, like, turned around and, and closed her laptop for her. Yeah. No, this is why relatives exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of two things to do here. One is, like, how do I properly convey my frustrations? Uh, you just say, like, hey, that was awful. You know, like, you don't have to properly convey. I mean, short, like, don't scream at them and don't say, like, you're horrible monsters and I hope you get hit by a car. But all you have to do is say, like, it was really rude and distracting. Uh, the sounds of your typing and studying are in my wedding. Um, I, I, I wish so much that you hadn't done this. It, it really hurt my feelings that I didn't have your full attention during the 15 minutes that a wedding ceremony takes. It was rude and it damaged our friendship. That's all you have to say. If they apologize, you can say thank you for your apology. I still need time. If they don't apologize, you can safely write these people off as bad friends who you do not ever have to see again. They are Their commitment to rudeness is greater than their commitment uh, to you. Um, but then beyond that, once they are out of your, uh, you know, immediate social circle, you, you can, I think, laugh about it a little bit, maybe not right away. Um, but like you still got to marry your husband. Um, you get to be married for the rest of your lives if you would like. And that person does not have the power to do anything else to you. And one of the things that I think you will eventually get to laugh about is like, you guys are not going to believe this. When we got married 20 years ago, we had a great time and we had one guest, who was studying during the whole ceremony. And your friends will be like, what? No, you're making that up. And you're like, I am not making this up. This happened. And they'll be like, you're putting me on. And you'll be like, I have a video. You can hear her laptop. Remember laptops <laughs> chiming in the background. And they'll be like, that's wild. Because of course, now we all have some new technology that's replaced laptops. Um, and you will get to dine out on the story of the totally bananas wedding guest who you don't talk to anymore. Yes, no, because one of the greatest gifts, which I hope eventually this will become a gift, is to be given the perfect story about why somebody is a bad person, or not a bad person necessarily, but like this is the perfect incident that you can then use to explain like why you have the attitude towards that person that you have. And this is gift-wrapped. Classic, yeah. Just a beautiful example. Yeah, a continued friendship with this person is impossible because um, she studied and took phone calls throughout my wedding. Uh, and then when I told her that that bothered me, uh, her boyfriend said, well, she wasn't going to come anyways, but she saw that there'd be free booze. And everyone's response to that will be, oh, my goodness gracious, that belongs in a museum. And you will just be able to dine out on this story for years to come. Nobody will be like, I think you overreacted. Everyone will be like, this lady sounds like a jerk. And again, like it hurt, obviously, because it is 15 minutes out of your life I'd like to pay attention during the ceremony. No one's even saying, like, don't look at your phone or leave early during the reception. But yeah, like to, to say, boy, oh boy, I want the people who attend my wedding to pay attention during like the 10 minutes when we're actually talking with the efficient and taking our vows. This is a very, 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 very easy Easy, simple request. Yeah, I, I can't get over the fact that she was on a laptop, not even on her phone, on a laptop right? typing with dinging noises. No, the, you are going to – this is just a beautiful, horrible story that no one will ever find issue with your behavior, but they were their jaws will drop to the ground yeah, appalled. Yeah. And then Jorge was like, well, she was in the back row. And she actually <laughs> didn't even feel like coming to your wedding to start with, but like we, we did want to like get some free booze out of you. It was just like – that is just – you know, uh, I'm truly impressed at, at both of their um, charisma. I'm going to call that charisma. Yeah. 
No, it's like uh, panache. No, there's another word. Panache, uh, yeah. Affrontery, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the true, true affront. Yeah. Some people truly do not worry what anyone in the world thinks of them. And uh, Ramona and Jorge are definitely in that category of just like, I'm going to do exactly what I need to get by and everyone else can go hang. And that is just too much confidence. You shouldn't have that much confidence. You should have less confidence than that. Yeah. No, sadly, always the people with that confidence are the ones you wish didn't have that confidence and vice versa. Yeah, they don't use it to make wonderful, useful, uh, you know, choices that benefit others. Um, they they do it to FaceTime their study. But can you imagine being the study buddy and getting that call and being like, wait, where are you? You're calling me from what? This this can wait. Yeah. I hear organ music. Are you somewhere you can talk? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Oh, They're man. wrapping up. Uh, yeah, they haven't started yeah, serving it's... booze yet, so I can talk. I'm still free. Um, mm. Oh, man. And as someone who once left a reception to watch Jeff, Jeff Bush's speech where he dropped out of the like race, you know, if it were possible to find a sympathetic audience for this, I would have been that. But I left the reception in a demure manner and didn't make any noises. Uh, I once left a reception early to go audition for Jeopardy. Because there was Ooh. only like a twice a year window when you were allowed to do so. But I had cleared it with uh, the bride first. And I just went to a nearby Panera Bread. And then I came back afterwards because it was only like 20 minutes. So, you know. Yeah, you got to clear it with the bride if you're thinking of doing anything anomalous at a wedding. Yeah, and she was my cousin. Is... So it wasn't, it was, you know. Oh, anyways, yeah. I realize now I'm exposing myself to censure from others who say, no, no, no. You wait until they have the audition that's not during your cousin's wedding. And I will... You know, if someone wants to chasten me for that, I will accept it. I, I should potentially have, have reconsidered. But what's done is done. And I already went on Jeopardy and lost real bad. So I've already been punished. Alexandra, thank you so much for being on my strange, strange show. Oh, thank you for having me. This was both fun and also deep. Yeah, you know, uh, we got to go to some exciting and strange places today and explore some beautiful, sparkling underwater caverns. And uh, I'm so, so grateful that you were the Jacques Cousteau to my Jacques Cousteau's friend today. <laughs> no no bends for anyone. No bends for anyone. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Hey, you too. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you may hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Sometimes you ask for what you think you want, and it turns out when you see somebody else getting, like, the full cake treatment, you realize that, like, the expectation I've been setting and the thing that I've been asking for and what I actually would like are not the same. But, yes. th- like, your partner has been dealing with all the information that you've given them, 
And their expectation has been set at, like, this is the person who doesn't like birthdays. This is the person who, like, is happy with, like, a luncheon. And so it's not horribly unfair for either for you or for them to be like, wait a second, I actually saw the, this other person getting this treatment and I realized I would kind of like that. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.